0: You are listening to Studying Pixels, a pirated podcast on game studies and video game culture. I'm Stefan Heinrich Simon, I'm a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan
1: Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas, and you wouldn't download a podcast, would you?
0: <laughs> not illegally, would you? <laughs> Especially not if it's out every Sunday on studyingpixels.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Piracy is exactly the topic that we're going to address today, Dan, I assume you have some kind of piracy history, just like we all do. Yes. Do you have a particular memory of of pirating a video game? I do. We had
1: a rich pirating culture at my school. Yeah, same here. (laughs) Yeah, it it was just what you did back then, but I remembered I didn't have as much fun with fully pirated games, but I loved ROM hacks of Pokemon, especially. And I have a very fond memory of a friend of mine surreptitiously giving me a USB drive at the lunch table and saying, "You're really going to like what's on this one." (laughs) And it was was, uh, a ROM hack of Pokemon where you could catch all the uh, Pokemon up to that date in one game. It was a lot of fun.
0: Oh wow! It was even a modified
1: Pokemon game. Oh yeah, yeah. It was man. That's one of the the most tragic things about the Nintendo crackdown on emulators and ROM hacks is that. A rich culture of uh, Pokemon Fire Red ROM hacks just completely disappeared. And those were some of the most creative, innovative, fun gaming experiences I've had. And I'm sad that they're gone. So it's a very
0: precious memory of mine with pirating. But it's curious that you mentioned Pokemon because it was pretty much the same for me, honestly. I played uh, a lot of Pokemon games on my computer in an emulator. Yeah. And yeah, like A lot of Nintendo games, actually, Pokemon and also Final Fantasy Tactics at the time, I think, which was a... A GBA game. A lot of these things. Harvest Moon. It was just... I, I don't remember why. I, I, I don't remember whether at the time maybe my Game Boy was broken or I didn't have one anymore. And then I just used to spend hours and hours downloading and playing these games. Yep. I must confess, it's something that... Uh, well, I think if you're being honest
1: with yourself, too... Dear listener, you'll probably have some history with it as well. Yeah. It's not, I I wouldn't say that I'm copping to a heinous moral crime
0: here. (laughs) Well, (laughs) dear listener, uh, you wouldn't be a freeloader, would you? (laughs) 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 Because this show, we also need to finance this show. And one way to do that, or the way to do that, actually, is by supporting us by joining Studying Pixels Plus, where you can get all of our episodes entirely ad free where you'll get a lovely sticker that says, I am studying pixels and monthly plus episodes. Some of them go into video game culture and others actually help you study. If you're curious about that, then you can head over to studyingpixels.com plus to find out more.
2: Ready to pop the question?
0: Today, we got a little bit of a special episode because we're doing a collaboration. Initially, we reached out to Shlomo Scher, who's a philosophy professor at California State University Fullerton and a lecturer at Letters, Arts and Sciences and Game Design Departments at the New York Film Academy in Los Angeles to talk about piracy in video games. And Shlomo also has a podcast which he does together with Andrew Ashcraft, a veteran game designer and lecturer in game design and screenwriting at the New York Film Academy. The two of them make a wonderful show called Ethics and Video Games. I really like their show. I've been listening to them for quite a while. And Shlomo suggested, why don't we make it a collaborative episode where both of our teams come together to have a chat about piracy in video games? And that's exactly what we did. So please. Enjoy our conversation on piracy and video games. So for everyone at Ethics and Video Games, I'm Stefan Heinrich Simon. I'm a game study scholar from Germany. I'm Dan Hughes, a Japanese scholar from Texas.
4: Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Flo Uh I'm a philosophy professor uh, and video game ethicist uh, from uh, Los Angeles.
3: Hello, study in pixels people. I'm, my name is Andy Ashcraft, and I am a game designer, and I teach game design.
4: Wow, welcome everybody everywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> very exciting. This is our first time to collaborate. Uh, so this is a, a co-podcast collaboration, Studying Pixels and the Ethics of Video Games podcast. Uh, what are we talking about, Stefan? Yeah, we're talking about the ethics of piracy because the thing is that over the
0: course of our shows, several times we hit upon the subject of piracy and we never really found our position. And we always thought like, "Mm, we need to talk to someone who has some expertise on the matter. And that's when I reached out to you, Shlomo. So what we really are curious about is the moral philosophical positions on piracy. Is there any, are there there any conditions under which piracy can be morally permissible? That would be a key question that we have to answer.
4: I would say I have like high expertise in the piracy specific issue, but Piracy is like uh, many other, um, you know, like like many other activities that uh, we engage in, and uh, there's of course uh, kind of classic ethical reasoning uh, ways to to think about these things. Um, I'm assuming, first of all, that none of us has engaged in piracy ever. Never, never. No, we're <laughs> all <laughs> good boys,
3: I think. <laughs> so, so, general listeners, you should know that we've been chatting about this for before we started recording, and uh, we've all. Even even you, Andy? A little bit, not much, but a little, sure. Okay.
4: In my younger years, in your younger bit, years, in my
3: poorer years. <laughs>
4: uh, it, it's interesting because you know the the uh, my assumption is that as the game designer, you would be the one of us who is least most likely to have pirated, and I'm assuming that still is the case that you still have pirated less than the rest of us.
3: I'm sure that will be the case when we when we when we get into it. I'll be the one saying, "Hey." don't steal my work it's funny because when when stefan and i had talked
1: about this before we always ended every conversation with well we we really don't know where we stand we should really look into it more and
0: just talking to you andy briefly it's just uh, no i know exactly where i stand <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> the interesting thing is that andy just said don't steal my work and i was wondering does piracy equate to stealing because i do remember from when i was a child Oh, let's say child to teenage years. I always had the situation that I used to pirate a whole lot of video games. I'm just going to admit that, right? I went to the movie rental and then I got a disc and then I cracked the game or got like a key gen or whatever. And then I, I kept it. So technically I stole, but my parents, they would never get upset about it. Whereas on the other hand, if I were to go to a store and I would steal a bit of chewing gum, which I never did, but I assume... If I had done that, my parents would be super angry, and would be like, "No, you ought not to steal. Don't do that. That's bad." That's a weird disparity, isn't it?
4: Right, and you know, uh, I, I I don't know about you, Dan, but I when I first uh, started uh, getting uh, games illegally, and I don't even know if we called it pirating back then, getting crack games, but I was like, uh, I think fourteen, maybe, uh, and this was uh, this was nineteen eighty six. And, uh, I, I, would go to what we call duck meets. Uh, I was a computer, I was in a computer science magnet back then. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I, would take my Commodore 128 along with the screen and everything to some sort of auditorium. And there would be like a whole group of people there. And we would all be, some of them had hard drives as big as two megabytes. Um, and we would be essentially copying crack games, um, at a, you know, uh, directly to each other. Right. Uh, and I never remotely thought there was anything wrong with that until years later when people started talking about music piracy.
1: My experience was kind of similar because I went to a boarding school where we had a local kind of, um, intranet and all of these games, (laughs) some, some lunatic had cracked a bunch of different games and put them all onto, it was accessible to everybody. So it was just kind of commonplace that if you wanted to play the latest game, you just wait for this guy to put it up and you'd get it downloaded onto your laptop. So I was, I was about 14 too, and it didn't cross my mind, I think mainly because that was just what was done at the school, right. but I never had the thought that, oh, I'm doing something bad
3: here until a little later. And it turns out like when you're in school too, that there's all this stuff that is just free and shared. Right. All of your books, the library, there's a library there. There's, you know, you would never actually take home a library book and keep it, but you would have no have no problem just going and getting a library book and reading it and taking it back, right?
1: And it's funny the thing the the j store of video games it was just <laughs>
4: <the> <laughs> access to everything. That's kind of what it was, too, except Jay's a friend of yours, and all of these are <laughs> you know illegally pirated games, right That's right. I think we can start kind of with the um what what i'm what I'm thinking here is kind of one uh, extreme of the issue, which is which is um. Uh, I forgot where I got these categories from, but the the category is called the the fundamentalist protectors. And the idea there is essentially exactly the way Stefan put it is, look, if you're essentially uh, pirating video games, uh, what you're doing is essentially exactly analogous to common theft. There really is no no different. Right. People have a right to their stuff. Right. Their creation is their stuff right? Notice their stuff is their property, right? Uh, taking it or accessing it without permission is plain stealing and needs to be punished in the exact same way as stealing is. So if you guys remember, and I'm sure you do, the the kind of uh, warnings that, for pirating warnings that you would get on video games, they seem very much to take kind of this idea, right? Pirating is stealing. This is exactly the same as stealing. But obviously, if you ask somebody what's wrong with stealing, what they would say is, well, if, you know, if you stole my laptop, what's wrong is I don't have a laptop anymore, right? Uh, your gain is my loss. But in piracy, when, you know, we don't have a, an analogous situation, um, we have something that in some ways in anal- is analogous, potentially, but certainly there seems to be an important difference between the two. It's like th- this level of abstraction, I think, that really influences
0: uh, our intuition when we think about that, because yes, uh, like if I crack a game from some kind of published, let's say I crack a game from 2K, then 2K did not lose that game. They can still sell it. But I basically uh, deprived them of that one sold copy of that, the revenue
4: of that one sold copy, right? That's right. Or you potentially deprive them, right? And this is where things get weird, right? But and then we have the other point that the fundamentalist protectors is, is going to make, which is to say, you know, a lot of times people say piracy is not a victimless crime, but uh, illegal downloading harms creators uh, in terms of, you know, this would be lost income. Right. Uh, so, right. You're not stealing what they have, but you're stealing what they're going to get. But this is the key. The key is that this is a, important enough, right, uh, to be counted as serious as common thievery. Because you're still, you're still even, if, even if you're not stealing what they currently have, in stealing what they're go- going to have, you're still stealing in the exact normal way that we talk about stealing.
3: And, and some people argue that, that well, I'm not stealing what, what they're going to get because I was never going to buy it.
4: Right. And, and there's a lot of arguments this way. In fact, you might, so there's examples, and I think the most famous one is uh, Game of Thrones, where piracy uh, made Game of Thrones more popular. Right. Uh, Piracy actually led to more people uh, watching Game of Thrones, uh, to more people uh, paying for Game of Thrones, I think, to more HBO subscriptions uh, as well. It would be hard to prove that. Fair enough, Andy. It certainly doesn't seem, though, like it's beyond imagining that something can get popular uh, through piracy. to the point where enough people are interested to actually help the the IP itself it's also
0: something where it just uh, makes a significant difference of whether you can afford it technically right because i I found some some statistics it 's a little bit hard to find good data on the matter. The only like big survey that I could find was from two thousand and sixteen from pc gamer they did like an online survey with fifty thousand people and I found there that up until the age of 25, the most common reason for why people would pirate games is that they say they can't afford it. And that calls into question this entire idea of, if I would not have pirated, would I have then bought the game? If I can't afford it, have I really deprived a uh, company of that sale? You know, because I wouldn't have bought it anyway.
3: Right. right, right. And, and to that, I say that there's probably a percentage of people for whom that is true, and that percentage is important because let's say it's it's ninety percent. Ninety percent of the people who pirate games can't afford them. We'll just pull a number out of out of out of the air, right? That means that there's one out of ten who can, and so every time ten people download the game, I'm losing one sale. So so really, what you're what you're stealing is ten percent of of the of the revenue.
0: Admittedly, uh, this survey, obviously people just simply participated in that survey and might not have told the truth, Uh, but according to their percentages, it's roughly around like between 50 to 60% of people um, younger than the age of 25, they said
4: the reason for why they pirate video games is because they can't afford them. I want to add a little something to this, which is cognitive biases. We have to remember our psychological cognitive biases. I Are people really rationalizing when they say they can't afford it? You know, what does it mean to say that you really can't afford it? Does it mean that you don't want to save up to get this thing? Um, Because in many cases, that's exactly what that would be. Yeah, does it
3: mean that I can't afford it because I really want this Frappuccino?
4: I used to collect a lot of music, right, in the days of, uh, of CDs, right? And I bought, you know, hundreds of CDs at full price. Right. As a student, with because it was my passion, you know, uh, and some of those were shitty CDs with no <laughs> refund policy. Could I afford them? Well, I could afford them if I skimped on other things. And I think the same applies in some cases to games, and that for a lot of us that say that, it's not so much that we can't afford them, is that we are rationalizing it for ourselves why it's okay to get it for free. When really, if it really came down to it, we could afford, let's say, half of those games or a quarter of those games, right? But some amount. And if this was our passion, if pirating wasn't an option, I'm willing to bet that that number would go up. Yeah. But, you know, in the same sense, um, from the game designer perspective, there would be a kind of, uh, we're all kind of looking for, with confirmation bias, to kind of uh, looking for the evidence that to shows to show that we're already right. So from the game designer perspective, I would assume that uh, there would also be uh, self serving biases uh, about um, about the the value and of the wrongness involved in uh, um, in pirating uh, video games. Though it might not be as bad, to be honest, as uh, you know as as the rationalizations that so many of us would have. I think.
3: Certainly, when you're thinking about the harm that it causes somebody, uh, indie game developers are, you know, have a hard time making a living anyway. So, try, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to rationalize away uh, pirating games, you know, make sure you're pirating from the big guys and not the indie guys.
4: Which is interesting, uh, you know, in in my, uh, in my contemporary moral issues class. I've I've asked students about uh, what do they think the punishment should be if you steal something like uh, $250 worth of clothes from Target. And the majority of them are like, oh, Target? Oh, they're a big company. Uh, Very little. Not a big deal. And it's interesting that notice that this isn't just uh, with... you know, uh, indie developers, right. It's with any kind of like big company and, uh, small, uh, retailer. Do you guys think that's true? Uh,
1: Speaking as someone who also has an insurance background, it's funny to me when I hear the argument of, um, well, you know, Walmart target, they're huge, they're huge companies. You know, if you steal a candy bar, if you steal even something like $250 worth of clothes, they have loss prevention, you know, they eat that cost. And what you don't think about when you rationalize it that way is, Yeah, but then we're all paying for it in premiums and money that's going up anyway. So it seems like you're kind of sticking it to the man by taking something like that. And I think the argument probably persists with big AAA video games. Like, well, what is Activision losing? I'm taking this game. Well, there's a lot of people who work at Activision who see ramifications of that, I would imagine, at at some level. So to me, I think it's... It's maybe easier with video games when you're especially if you're cracking a game because it's not a tangible product. So you're not actually <clears throat> walking out of the store with it. You you can that's your first level of rationalization and then beyond that you say, "Well, I didn't really take any money from them." But I think broader picture there's a lot of ramifications that we don't think about.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I also think that this idea of stealing from uh, big corporations is um let's say, more acceptable than stealing from an indie dev? Or would you steal from Toby Fox? You know, most people would probably say like, no, of course not, because there's so much passion in these video games and it's just one person making all of that. And he has to to sustain himself on, on these games. I think it's a bit of a problematic rationale because we have to then kind of determine at which degree do we draw a line, which is like super difficult from a moral philosophical perspective. And we have to also, as, as you said, Dan, I 100% agree with that. We have to consider that there are people working at Activision and theft is, or like pirating games is probably not going to hurt Bobby Kotick or soon Phil Spencer as much as it is going to hurt like the people that actually work there. That might not even be in, involved in the development itself, but maybe other kind of staff members that work in, you know, like on the lower end
3: salary spectrum. I can actually sort of talk to about talk to that a little bit. So when you're in a, a big company like an Activision or an EA, a publicly traded company, you have um, what you're really going to do is if if you manage through, you know, hundreds of millions of people downloading your games for free uh, and not paying anything, what you're going to end up doing is just they they simply will will focus their game, they'll focus the money that they have on the three titles that they know that will make them the most money. And you'll end up just cutting into the diversity of games that are being produced by these companies because they won't be able to make the profits that they need in order to, to sustain the, you know, diverse, small, interesting games.
4: Mm, That's interesting.
3: Games that, that they might be able to do something really, really great with because they have a bigger reach. You know, there's a, there's a real good reason for why, why a, Game developer might want to go and get published with a big company, and not just put up, put their game out in, as an indie studio. And that is because of the reach of these companies and the and the, the publishing might. And so they're potentially saying, "Oh, well, we're not going to publish this small game because you know we need to focus our our interests on on, uh, on you know Madden and Call of Duty, and you know and the thirteenth, fourteenth sequel of." Or whatever this other game is. I don't
1: know. That's really interesting to think about because I remember one of our previous conversations was around Metroid Dread, which had all of this great press and people really loved it, but it was also a lot of people were pirating it, uh, if I remember correctly, to kind of upscale it and mod it for themselves to mm. make it look better. So mm-hmm. that's another topic we could get into. But I remember when, when that happened, the discourse around it was, if we're not If we're not buying Metroid Dread, we'll never get another game like that because they'll just see, okay, well, that didn't do so well. Uh, I don't care how many people pirated or played it. It didn't sell like we were hoping, so we're not going to make another project like that and we'll focus on, I don't know, Animal Crossing DLC or something, right? That's exactly
0: right. There is then, of course, a trend to develop live service games, multiplayer games. Those would be the big franchises that we already referenced because those are significantly harder to pirate because you need to be online in order to play them. And there are like DRM checks running in the background that will make it harder.
4: So then you think, well, where are we making the most money, you know, in such games? Not to mention that you're moving everything to microtransactions, you know, where, I mean, where you just can't pirate them.
3: There's no surprise that these, that these two things, these these two aspects have coincided where they have, right? The growth of DRM, and the growth of anti-piracy stuff uh, has paralleled the growth of of anti uh, of of like online purchases and free-to-play models and those sorts of things uh, pretty much directly. That's because
4: these a solution for one thing offers game potential for the other. We talked about the kind of um, the fundamentalist protectors. I'm wondering if we can now go to the other side of the spectrum.
3: I also want to bring in, and this is probably the place to bring it in. Um, the idea of the tragedy of the commons, because isn't that what this is? Isn't the Internet the, our big commons? We could just go and like download stuff.
4: Right. So the tragedy of the commons would be that uh, it's in each of our interests to download this pirated pirated games. But if all of us do it, no one pays for games and there's no games. right? But of course, um, you know, the question is going to be, you know, are we in a situation where we were all in the same place, and um I think one of the situations again is the the who can't afford it so let me say something about the fundamentalist libertarians here uh and what that position is going to be like, and then let's see if we can uh get somewhere in the middle so the fundamentalist fundamentalist libertarians are going to say look all information information should be free right. All information, all ideas, all creative products should be free, available to everyone. And one reason for that is, uh, look, the world would just be a better place if if we did this, right? People would get more access to more books, more software, more games that they otherwise wouldn't be able to play. Um, Piracy is especially common in places that um, just really, you know, it's easy for us to to talk— you know, uh, about, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't afford it. But if you're a kid growing up in, you know, Vietnam uh, or uh, Nigeria or, you know, uh, lots of places across the world, um, the norm is that everything is pirated because you really can't afford it. Right. So this idea of games spreading uh, in places where, um, you know, affordability is a real, real issue and you know i mean i remember uh i remember traveling uh in 1994 uh, in the middle east and in europe uh and everywhere uh everywhere people were were poor um no one was selling actual tapes everything was pirated right that was just the expectation because it was outrageous given the relative amount of money people locally had to charge, let's say I can get a pirate tape for 2 bucks, but uh it would be like 14 bucks or 15 bucks. Uh if it was like the the regular version, you know, it was almost insulting to sell it at that price to that population. Uh and mind you, I think that's a difficult question everywhere where you have I mean if because if you were going to sell it for less than that, those people can turn around with those legitimate copies and make a profit out of them, right? This would happen. You think about pharmaceuticals, which is a really, really big pirating, if we call it pirating, right? But IP kind of situation. If you're to sell pharmaceuticals really cheap to like a poor country, obviously there would be corruption that would use it to sell it for more money to, you know, a less poor country. Those pharmaceuticals would just end up back in the U.S. Or maybe back to the U.S., but they can get the most money for them. Right, that is a real issue for a, a big part of the world. That's kind of the way they can get games in the first place, and then, uh, and then maybe they can still, with that, give something to the game company. For example, uh, you know, maybe this is where microtransactions can come into play. So they can't do the whole game, but they can do you know things here and there. Um, and the the other people here is, uh, you know, sometimes people pirate because. Things are just not available in their area, right? I mean, I think that's less and less the case. Uh, but certainly that's been the case with movies a lot uh, in, uh, in, in, in the past. Um, and then there's, to me, this is the kind of interesting part. So um, for music, uh, once Napster came about, uh, I was all over Napster. You know, uh, by that point, I think I had something like 600 or 700 CDs in my collection. So I had like a wall covered with CDs. But once Napster came, I almost immediately stopped buying CDs. Because Napster allowed me the ability to download uh, mu- download music, the music I wanted, download music without penalty. And then BitTorrent came where I could literally like download a collection of 100 gigabytes of MP3s, right? Where and I could all check it out later. Um, now that essentially, um, you, you, you know, that essentially spelled seemed to spell doom for the music industry. Um, but it also led to things like people listening to music on YouTube. It led to today. Uh, I have an, I have a Spotify subscription, uh, and also I have a subscription to uh, 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 Curaz. Uh, which is a uh, Cubaz, uh, which is awesome. It's like a high fidelity music streaming where you can stream at 28,000 uh, K per, per second instead of like uh, what would be your normal MP3. High-end MP3 is 320. This is 28,000. It sounds amazing. And I can stream it into my stereo system. And it's just like listening to music before. As a
3: layman, I would not be able to tell the difference between those music streams.
4: You, you know, part of the reason is I haven't listened to a CD in 20 years, or almost, because MP3s made things so convenient. But once you kind of get back into high fidelity, you're like, oh, my God, this is so amazing. And because of the whole MP3 Napster kind of threat to the CD model, they came up with these services. And now I pay through services. Now, I realize the services uh, maybe don't pay small artists as well as you know big artists though maybe that was always the case with labels to some way but at least you've got something like this and i think those things kind of matter that sometimes pirating could be a push to give people something uh different that might even be better uh i i don't buy that many games these days because mostly me and my son play whatever 100 or 150 games we have on Xbox, you know, on our subscription model to Xbox. And we really like that subscription, right? I mean, there's so many games there for us. Maybe we don't need to go pirate games. Notice that's kind of another way to kind of, and within that package, you can also fit the smaller games that uh, might get lost to to pirating.
3: Like that's the way the industry is sort of focused. They've gone they've gone with these sort of and, and music industry too, right. They've gone with these subscription po- policies or they've gone with free to play where basically it doesn't make any sense to go through the hurdles of pirating a game when it costs you free or a dollar or, you know, and you could just get it really easily by this with a really nice interface and, you know, people actually paying attention to what your user experience is. Uh, you know, it's just a better experience. And so, Sure, I'll pay a dollar for the better experience.
1: I love streaming services. I think they're fantastic. Spotify, you know, any of the, you know, Netflix, Disney Plus, whatever it is, right? I think that they're great. But what worries me is things go away from them, right? Licenses kind of a change or people, they get removed or things, things go away. It's not the same as having the physical copy. And the troubling thing about video games, especially, is that when you're talking about game, uh, sort of, I, I guess, like a being a librarian for games or a historian for them, there are certain games that they just either don't physically exist anymore, or they're very difficult to find, and they don't digitally exist. So there's this kind of feeling that you, if you want to experience a game that isn't remastered or re-released or on a streaming service, you're kind of out of luck. And that's where the kind of to, to put on my romantic hat for a minute, feels like it's like withholding art from people. And that's the thing that I always struggle with, especially not just, you know, here in America or in in Europe or in, um, you know, North America, wherever, but the global South, you know, places that you mentioned Shlomo where it's just like, you, you can't even get normal games normally. Like how, how would we expect people to dig into game history?
3: Yeah. I think that's a really, really good point because, uh, game technology has moved forward, you know, at, at a rate of Moore's law. Um, and, you know, and so you, I, I have, I have a Dreamcast and, you know, and so I can play my old Dreamcast games. But if I didn't have that Dreamcast, this, this would be a coaster. <laughs> this disc would be, you know, a useless, a useless item to me. And there would be no way for me to play this, this game again. And of course, if I, if I wanted to play a Dreamcast game that I didn't have, you know, if I couldn't find it in one of the used bins somewhere in a, you know, a a used, a used game store, I would have to figure out a way to to play this game. And as a, as an educator, I frequently want to play games that are no longer, you know, in being published no longer. So, you know, this is, I think the idea of, of like, there should be a library for, games that have fallen out of print. You know, I think unavailability
0: is certainly one of the strongest uh, reasons why piracy can be morally legitimate, because you're preserving art, you're preserving culture, and you wouldn't have been able to purchase it anyway if it's like properly unavailable.
3: You're not depriving anybody of anything. Nobody's expecting any royalties from from the 20-year-old uh, Dreamcast game. Exactly. Though
0: The thing is that Especially like streaming services, but also, as you, Dan, said, um, remasters and remakes are really trying to counter that, right? Or these, you know, mini consoles, NES mini, SNES mm. mini, maybe there would be a Dreamcast mini at some point, or you get the Dreamcast collection on some kind of Sega mini console. Yeah. These are all endeavors to make games available, which then again delegitimize piracy
3: i think this is a real difference between games and music right because we can listen to music now that we bought 40 years ago we don't have any problems i mean maybe you don't have a record player uh, i don't have a record player but i know people who do have record players and if i if i find you know a piece of vinyl that i want to listen to i can i can very easily solve that problem uh cds are starting to you know i, I uh, cd players are starting to like fall out of out of production, right? You can, if you buy a new car, it no longer comes with a CD player. Yeah. You know, maybe my, that 600 wall, 600 CD wall that Slomo has is going to be all coasters at some point.
4: <laughs> oh, they're all gone. I've, or they're deep in the closets, but there were coasters for a while. And then there was that time when, uh, there was, I, I think, there was a, a moment in kind of cultural history where people are like, "What else can you do with a CD object?" Right. There you I go. Actually, oh, I nice. Do have, it. I have that. <laughs> Is that like a CD made to look like uh,
0: vinyl? That's great. Yeah, yeah. That's a I, I used to collect vinyl records, and I had to sell my entire collection because I was moving places and needed furniture. Instead, I got these actual coasters. <laughs> right.
4: Nice. <laughs> Right. Actual coasters. There you go. <laughs> to me, part of what's interesting about video games and piracy is kind of the question of how the medium is is really different. And, you know, it's interesting how uh, one of the things that really bothered me about... So you think about the things that led to music piracy. Uh, a big part of it was you bought a record and the record... Like, you've heard one song on the radio. And, you know, I, I went to a record shop uh, a few months ago. With all you know, I like I just got a record player, and I, was, I went to like a record shop, and I was like, God damn it! I can't listen to the, these records. I have no idea what most of these records are. I'm expected to, sp- and they're expensive to spend like forty bucks on a record, uh, without being able to to you know. And back then, it was like let's say you know eighteen dollars on a CD, which was still like in the let's say if you're like the mid nineties. I mean that's expensive. That's a lot, right? But that but it was the only way you can get. The product that you wanted there weren't no there weren't any other formats and there was no refund policy on that it wasn't like you can always sell it to use you know to use music store but uh, you know to me there was an injustice in that in the first place right uh and you know one thing that uh things like napster did is allowed you to get exactly what you want and know more of that and once uh songs uh once companies responded by selling songs bit by bit, so you would pay a $0.99 cents for a song or something like that, that at least addressed one of the problems the industry had. Um, and and like, once you got streaming services, that really kind of addresses uh, a lot of the other kind of problems. And to me, I'm kind of wondering if games have any kind of, any similar thing to that. I will say that I think games are incredibly fairly priced. and uh, in, you know, in my opinion, they're if you're buying a good game, it's really cheap, <laughs> like for the amount of entertainment that you're getting. The only question is, is there a, a sufficient return policy? Because if you're paying 60, 70 bucks for a game uh, or even 30 bucks, do um, you have a way to return it? Because you have no way, you know, to really know what that game is like. And... Uh, Ads are so often misleading in games.
3: Is that true that you don't really know what the what the game is like? Let's. So we're when you're talking about sixty or seventy dollars games, you're talking about the AAA titles that are getting a lot of
0: this Well, I mean, statistically at least, uh, I just checked it, and the reason demo the game that is the second most popular reason for why people say they pirate games, and after the age of twenty five, it is the most popular because. I assume, you know, as people get older, they have a little bit more money at their disposable, a little bit more disposable income, and that's why demoing the game becomes more important
4: to them. Andy's and kind of right. I mean, these days you can watch so many walkthroughs of a game. Though you may not... I don't like watching walk, walkthroughs. I know it will give me an idea of the game, but then I'm seeing someone... I, I want to... Exp- be exposed to the game in kind of an original way. Right, right. uh, I mean, way. It's,
3: it's always better to play the game. Like the, the feel of the game is going to be different when you're playing it yourself than when some, you're watching somebody else play it. Uh, but no, so, so that's a fair point. Um, you know, it used to be that demos were free, that there were that people made demos. Uh, here's another aspect that I want to bring in and w- because you're talking about, about games having a fair price. And that's the other way that, again, when we're talking about these big AAA games, so we're not talking about, you know, we're not talking about mobile games or We're not talking about free to play games. We're talking about this very, this very niche market. I mean, it's a very, it's a big niche, but it's still a niche market within the whole video game universe. Fair enough. And that's that, that AAA market. And it's 60 or $70. The people that buy AAA games as an industry, we know that you buy a certain number of them every year. It's, it's, a, and it's a low number. It's probably 10, 12. You probably don't buy that many of these AAA games a year, which means from the marketing departments of these companies, what they're, when they see you, what they're seeing is a pile of money that is about $600. Well, at least they're honest about it. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and so they want you to spend that $600 on their games. And they know that you have $600 to spend on games. The best way to do that is to make those games more expensive, not less expensive. To spend your their, their money on their game as opposed to their... Because it's super competitive, right? It's a super competitive market. So why more expensive instead of less
4: expensive?
3: Because they know you, only, you have $600 and they want all of it. If they could sell you one game for $600, they would. Yeah. <laughs> and they do if you consider that. We talk on,
0: about these things like full-price games versus microtransactions almost as if they are separate things. But indeed, over the years, these things have so much converged that you pay for. I remember that I purchased, like, I think, uh, an Assassin's Creed Valhalla for like $80. And there was still additional stuff to purchase on top and then an an additional in-game shop for cosmetics because that's, I assume, and I think is a very interesting rationale to maximize profit and to get as close as possible to those $600.
3: That's exactly right.
1: The idea being all right, if, if you're going to buy 12 games, I, as, as AAA company one, am assuming that nine of those will probably not be bought with me. So I'm going to make my three as expensive as possible, right? Yeah.
3: That's right.
4: Though, again, for the amount of, you know, let's say, you know, the uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, right? I mean, I, know, I put 60, 80 hours into that for the amount of money that we're talking about. It's such a great value. It's a
3: it's a wonderful value. It's absolutely a wonderful value, and the people who put their 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 heart and souls into making these games and their huge teams they're absolutely well worth the money. But I'm just saying, from the point of view, you
4: are a pile of six hundred dollars. If there's an unfair return <laughs> policy, that's another potential justification. That might not be a terrible justification for down, especially if you want to demo it. But if I, I don't know how many people really are like, I'm going to demo it and then, you know, buy, pay full price. I would. I've demoed it. Now I'm going to complete it.
3: <laughs> I mean, almost all of this stuff is being sold on the app stores now. Almost none of this is, is box products where you go to a store and you buy a box and, and, and take it home and, and, and install it. Right, but the idea is still the same, isn't it? Yeah, there should be a, there should be a simple return policy. It would be easy, right? I want to demo this game. Let me download the demo version. I think Steam has that policy. It might not be for every
1: game, but it's, you know, if you've, if you've only logged two hours in this game, you can get your money back. Um, And so things like that, I think are, are reasonable. I think those are great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm struck by, you know, piracy as this sort of competitive force against the industry where it's like, okay, let's look at piracy. Why are people pirating games? Well, they want to be able to try them out. Okay. Make that possible digitally right? And then they'll stop pirating games. I think that, I mean, just with the music industry example, you see this back and forth to the point where now, if I just want one song off an album, I'm not beholden to buy that entire album. I can just buy the one song or stream it or listen to it on YouTube and donate to the artist in some other way or or patronize them in some other way.
3: I consume most of my music over YouTube now.
4: Yeah, where it's free.
1: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Maybe coming back to to the Napster thing, that's something that I've been chewing on a little bit because um, I understand the comparison. And on the other hand, I feel like when it comes to the cultural history of video games there is something profound about piracy that is deeply inscribed within its culture with mm. uh, you know like the the yeah. cracker scene the demo demo scene and so on especially like in the 80s and 90s it was so common to even make your own title screens for video games where it was not even something where you wanted to hide that it was a pirated copy but you essentially added something or made a change which is not something that happens usually on Napster, almost like as if piracy is kind of um, a part of, of video game culture, part of video game aesthetics, even. That's a,
3: that's a good point, too, because in the early days of video games, there was a model, there was a business model of shareware
1: mm-hmm.
3: where you're literally like this is made to be shared. And, you know, there will be some, you know, some way of, of monetizing it and, you know, some other ways, of, you know, down the line. Um, but that was a model, and uh, and people got used to that as a model, right? I, oh, right. I can just share software.
4: But there was also a hacker culture involved in it, so you would get cracked by, and you know, this would be a a thing where y- where you get to uh, show off your your skills, right? And other people can know that you're a badass because they're getting a game that was cracked by you.
1: And then you have you have these sort of weird recursive examples where you have. So Stefan, you mentioned Toby Fox earlier. He he got his start with a. A, ha- a ROM hack of Earthbound and then uh, or one of the other games and then he made Undertale as sort of a, an answer to it and now he's working for Nintendo as a musician <laughs> so it's this, it's this interesting thing where oh well okay if I look at that it does kind of seem like you're legitimizing it to some degree
0: yeah it's not even a rare example if you think about the fact that games like Doom or Quake were part of this entire shareware culture I think where it was like kind of wasn't it the case that it's software when they made doom they even made like their uh, level editors and everything freely available to people so they could mod the game change the game make their own levels and just say like go to town you don't have to invest extra money in this and that's part of why doom became so popular and now
4: sells such tremendous figures yeah but it's pretty clear that this is right it's, you know we're going to define pirating as essentially uh, you know, which we it's interesting we haven't defined pirating, <laughs> you that's know, true, right? We <laughs> <right? laughs> uh, all right, <laughs> but but it's interesting, right? Where where you know you're essentially getting your hands on something that the company uh sees as its product, right? That's something that, that's not something the company is giving to you. So if they're giving you the ability, obviously, they're you know, to them, that's not the product,
0: that is true. That's not piracy, it's it's shareware and shareware as such is made for sharing, that's why it's not pirating. It's like as if a a bakery says here you have a bun for free, then you can't say I stole a bun.
4: (laughs) One of the things that kind of gets involved in piracy is the question of fairness, right? If you're essentially, you know, pirating your games, essentially you're relying on other people subsidizing your gaming experience. Right. And that itself, right, uh, just seems uh, unfair. Right. Uh, you're refusing to participate in the game economy. Uh, you're forcing other people to essentially uh, pay for for you. Um, the element of unfairness to me, again, it's it's I think partly related to what is it that you actually can't afford? What is realistic uh, and I don't know if there's a hard line here or I certainly, um, I, I I, don't know what I exactly think about it, but certainly there's at some point where, again, I think our rationalization about what we can afford take us a really, really long way. Uh, and there's a point where um, we have to remember that other people are subsidizing, you know, our gameplay. Uh, people that may just be ones who maybe have more... I don't know, more of a moral sense that we do <laughs> that it's important to do the right thing and they see pirating is wrong. Or maybe uh, people who uh, don't have the access to pirating technologies, but are still, you know, uh, supporting the industry just by, by buying games or people that really can't afford <laughs> afford it. But the whole thing seems unfair in terms of just you're relying on other people to keep things going for uh, for your benefit.
3: Right. And I think that's a that's a marketing question and a, and a business model question, right? There's tons and tons of freeware game, you know, uh, free-to-play games that rely on, you know, hundreds of millions of players uh, rely on a small handful of people who pay for everything. And that's a business model. That's just a business model. But
0: wouldn't it poss- be possible to flip it on its head, that argument? because Yeah, it is the case that then the people that pirate, they rely on the funding basically of others. But on the other hand, we also kind of made that argument that if you really can't afford a game or if it is entirely unavailable to you, then we see it as less morally problematic. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't that mean that the more money you have and the more access to games and video game culture you have, the less uh, it is possible to legitimize your piracy. And that's why such people that definitely, surely ought to buy games, whereas people that have less money and less access, for them, it can be rather legitimate. And that can be a way to restore this kind of fairness.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's basically my, uh, the, the, the definition of my politics, eat the rich.
4: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wait, we're, we're going back here to, to EA (laughs) and and Activision, (laughs) right?
1: (laughs) Where I would probably land is that you, if you have the capability uh, truly, right, then don't rationalize it. You should pay for your games, right? Yeah. Where it starts getting kind of gray is. Okay, well what if it's a game that's not published anymore and you want to experience it? I'm a little more lenient on that kind of situation, I think.
4: Well, that one you don't even have a choice, so I don't know, you know, what's there to be lenient about?
3: I mean, your choice is not to not to experience it, right?
4: Yeah. Pirated games give millions of people great joy. And <sighs> um, you know, this is kind of the utilitarian in me speaking. That it really kind of needs to be remembered, right? Uh, in some ways, the world is a better off place because people pirated games and have greatly enjoyed these games. not to dismiss the downside that andy is 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 raising because I think it 's real, but I think the other point that Andy raised that was uh, particularly interesting is um I, you know the free to play model right once you because we 're in the days where free to play is so so common, are there really legitimate reasons for pirating today now that we have now that we do have this free to play model that's so so common that's subsidized by whales and that leads to its own problems but you know at least maybe it doesn't allow for give us reason to to pirate and that we do have kind of streaming bundling services uh that most uh uh, uh game gaming, gaming platforms uh are doing that are affordable, you know, $15 a month is, is what I pay, I think. And, you know, that's affordable certainly to, you know, uh, you know, uh, Westerners, if not most people across the world, if gaming is, is your passion. Are there still reasons to pirate today, giving these changes? And maybe these changes were partly led by pirating fears. And I don't know, you know, uh, about that, but maybe they take away a lot of the reasons to do it in the first place.
3: That's what I think, and that's what the industry is hoping, of course. And I don't, and I don't know the numbers. I couldn't tell you whether it's true, but I suspect it probably is. I suspect that 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 all of these things have made piracy a lot less interesting for people to do.
0: Yeah, it's more cumbersome. Uh, you have to be more invested in the technology behind it, and you don't know whether it works. And worst case scenario, you get fined. It makes it a lot less attractive. And I think, especially if we consider that. Uh, You asked, Shlomo, is there any reason for why people should pirate? I don't have any empirical data to back that up, but I would suppose that a lot of people pirate games, and I'm not justifying that, because they want to play new games when they come out, before they enter into these streaming services, before they are available on sale. And I think that is probably one of the least justifiable reasons for pirating (laughs) games. (laughs) The The sheer thrill of piracy. (laughs)
4: <laughs> well, no, it's more than that. I mean, you no, know, it's, it's yeah, it's a it's a good point, right? Uh, a game comes out, you're not going to get it in these bundled streaming services. Uh, you still want you still want to play it, oh, so all all that desire to do that is going to be there, and you don't know if it'll be in in if it'll ever be in these streaming services, uh, and how long you'll have to wait for it. And I mean, okay, so the motivation can certainly still be there, whether it's justified, I guess, still. Relies on some of the other things that we talked about today.
3: You know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, in 20 years when I retire, I would like to you know retire in some comfort uh, from the money that I've made in my in my video game career. Um, but honestly, when somebody comes up to me and says, "Oh, I played your game when I was a kid," that that is what I love. Like I remember playing your game when I was a kid. Oh, I liked your I liked that game those are, that's way more important to me than money. So it sounds like I'm a, I've been super judgy about, you know, uh, you should never, never pirate. But honestly, <laughs> if you're playing my game and you love my game and you tell me that when I'm 70, so long as I'm not, you know, living on dog food, I'm okay.
1: <laughs> that
3: warms my heart to
1: hear. i I'm just on its own. So not that I'm not that I'm pirating all your games, Andy. I, I'm not <laughs> confessing to that. <laughs> but I do, uh, I, I think, I appreciate your, Perspective though, because we don't often think about it from that side. And I think it's really valid when you're considering this. So
0: okay, then I would say everyone, thank you so very much. It was a great pleasure talking with you. Great chatting with you guys. Super fun. Thanks so much. That was Shlomo Sha and Andy Ashcraft from Ethics and Video Games. Well, thanks again. It was a great pleasure. And if you like the show. I like the vibe of our conversation, then why not check out ethicsandvideogames.com or go to your favorite podcast app and search for their show because it's really cool. I actually really enjoy their, their episodes. It's a real treat talking to them too. You know, I, I said as
1: much to them, but I really enjoy how this podcast, Stefan, has brought a lot of like-minded people. It's like a, a, a cool video game discourse magnet, and it's so nice to chat with people who think the same way that we do and love the same things we do.
0: Yeah, that's always the great thing about having a podcast. I don't know how much you out there can relate to this, but I hope that you benefit as well from all of these connections that we can make through the show and bring people on to have interesting and engaging conversations. That's kind of what we're all about. Here's looking to the next one, too. Ah, uh, always oh, so interesting episodes. I wonder what's next. I don't know myself. <laughs> You'll have to tune in to find out, legally, tune in to find out. We'll be there to find out. <laughs> so thank you so very much for listening. Again, if you want to support the show, then you can get Studying Pixels Plus by visiting us at studyingpixels.com plus. And of course, if you want to reach out, head over to studyingpixels.com contact, where you can tell us your stories and opinions on video game piracy. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and YouTube. And we're looking forward to see you next week.